Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated, and right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. All right, it's another film study. It's Know Your Foe time. Ken, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm all good. I feel like I keep talking about referencing Sunday night for Ravens, even though they play on Monday on uh, 1 o'clock games. But we finally get an evening game to talk about this week. There you go. I, you know, as an analyst, I absolutely hate evening games. It really throws off my schedule for going through the film and, and doing what I need to do. But uh, I know a lot of people like prime time. Just not me. Well, yeah, and I, you know, I got to arrange my work schedule for Mondays. 
So after these games to make sure I have no early morning meetings because sometimes these games do go too late in the evening. But let's get our guest on. We've got Mark Schofield from the uh, Touchdown Wire at USA Today. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Josh. Ken, it's great to be with you guys again. Um, We had a lot of fun last year when we did this, and I've been looking forward to this one pretty much all year long. So I'm excited to be here. You got a lifetime invitation. I'll tell you that right now, Mark. Uh, Great content and football. For people who are not following Mark on Twitter, it's just at Mark Schofield, right? That's right. And and you get a quarterback guru, a guy who, who puts out a lot of interesting little eye candy clips with some great analysis to go with that. Highly recommended follower. And he's been one of the guys who's been very supportive of the show in terms of getting good guests on with us from other teams. So I really appreciate that, Mark. Well, I'm happy to send good people your way. Uh, Ken, I'm such a fan, huge fan of this, this show and what you're doing. And, you know, it's been great to see, you know, your work and your website and the, the stuff you do start to grow so much. And I'm so happy to see that. I appreciate it, Mark. Thanks. Well, let's get to talking about this game because it's a big deal uh, for Ravens fans. Anytime they get to play the Patriots. Uh, Patriots obviously not having the year that you probably would have hoped for. No, it's it, they haven't. Um, it has been certainly a bit of a transition year, Ken. Um, and I think in a way that was to be expected once Tom Brady decided that he was going to leave for the South um, and head to Tampa Bay. Um, you know, there were some moments earlier in the season, I think that week two game against Seattle when you thought, well, maybe they have something here on offense. Maybe they have something here of a vertical passing game. And I think what we learned that night more than anything else was that Seattle's defense is bad. It wasn't so much that New England's <laughs> passing game is good. The Seattle secondary isn't great. Um, so they're three and five right now. They're at sort of, I'd say, a tipping point over the next couple of weeks as to how they'll approach sort of the stretch drive here, which is why this game Sunday night is massive from New England's perspective. Yeah, obviously a big one for the Ravens as well. Uh, they can't definitely cannot afford to look past it. They're in a tough stretch of games. Honestly, they probably make the playoffs regardless of what happens the next three games, but seeding is important, and they will lose opportunity for that if they uh, are not careful here and, and, uh, and take each of these games one at a time. Ravens obviously have had their problems this year, but I want to go back to the offseason for the, for the Patriots because maybe one of the biggest things that happened this offseason was the very large COVID opt-out list that the Patriots presented. And obviously, you know, the way I've stated it on Baltimore radio is that you'd have to pretty much be a rookie on earth to believe Belichick's not behind that in some way. Yeah, I I will tell you, Ken, when when those names were announced, particularly Dante Hightower, you know, and Patrick Chun, there were a lot of people that thought Belichick's punted on 2020. You know, this is a sign that he's looking at the landscape, looking at his first post-Tom Brady season. He's looking around the AFC, and he's realized this is an opportunity to sort of reset things over 2020. We'll have a ton of cap space in 2021. Let's punt on the entire year. And, guys, just let me know up front, you know, if if you're even thinking about sitting out, if you're wary, lean towards sitting out. You know, there are a lot of people that think that way. And certainly anytime Bill Belichick does something from a personnel standpoint, that's instantly where your mind goes. And there may be some truth to that. But the opt-outs certainly have set them on a course where their defense, which was a strength going into the season, now might be the biggest question mark. You talk to anybody that covers this team, you know, Matt Chatham, who played for this team, who covers this team for the Athletic in Boston. He's been talking for weeks out. The Patriots' defense is a problem. It was a problem Monday night. It was a problem against the 49ers a couple weeks ago. 
And it's going to be a problem if they don't get that figured out. But we're eight games in. And those opt-outs and some injuries, they're really taking a toll on that defense. Yeah, so the uh, I do want to get back to the dearth now that exists on the Patriots at linebacker, inside linebacker, and on the defensive line in particular. But let's talk about the offseason a little bit more first. And the acquisitions that occurred, so Cam Newton, probably the biggest acquisition in the offseason. Who else did the did they acquire? And you know what, what's been their impact on the Patriots so far? Well, I think obviously you'd start with Cam Newton. That's the big one. Um, that was sort of the lightning bolt at the end of free agency. A lot of people, myself included, that started to really talk ourselves into Jared Stinema as being the plan, taking 2020 to evaluate him. And then they went out and they, they got a deal done with Cam Newton. But I think Damier Bird, the wide receiver who had spent some time in Carolina with Cam Newton, that acquisition has become a bigger part of this offense, particularly over the past couple of weeks. Injuries to Nikhil Harry and Julian Edelman and a sort of shift towards a you know, strictly 12, I mean, excuse me, a strictly 21 personnel team for the most part with two wide receivers. It's Jacoby Myers and Damian Bird, and Bird has basically been a starter since week one. It's been a, it was an under-the-radar signing, but you could certainly tell between Cam Newton and Damian Bird, there is a familiarity. They're on the same page. There's feel for each other, and it's feel for a receiver that Cam Newton doesn't have with anybody else on this roster. You look at that San Francisco game a couple of weeks ago, there was an interception where, Bert, where Edelman and Newton were not on the same page on a basic route concept, Haas Juke, which is a day one install in New England. That That's the play they ran three straight tra- times in the Super Bowl against the Los Angeles Rams a couple of years ago. That's something where you have to have that feel, that same wavelength between quarterback and receiver. It's not there between Newton and Edelman. Hasn't been there with some of the other receivers. It's certainly been there all season long between Newton and Damian Bird. So I think Bird is sort of one of those underrated sign-ins that has been a big part of this team right now. Jacoby Myers, uh, I'm I'm a little surprised you don't mention him kind of in the same uh, breath with a player like Bird because of, you know, what he's basically done these last few weeks, at least. Uh, Tell us a little bit about why he's not in that same class in terms of being on the same page, maybe with Newton. Well, there's certainly... There's a trust level uh, between Newton and Jacoby Myers. Myers has been an interesting player. Obviously, last year when they drafted Nikhil Harry in the first round, you know, Jacoby Myers was an undrafted rookie free agent last year, a quarterback position switch while he was at NC State. And so there were a lot of people that were sort of putting all their eggs in the Nikhil Harry basket. But even last year, Myers, due to injury, had to see some playing time. And you could see that there's something to this kid. And it's that quarterback background that he has. So he has an understanding of how route concepts work and how coverage works from a quarterback's perspective. And, you know, with the bird acquisition, you know, trying to get more opportunities from Nikhil Harry, obviously with Julian Edelman, and the fact that they were more of a 21-2 running back team at the start of this year, Myers was, again, sort of on the outside looking in. But with Harry's injury... Edelman's injury. Now you're seeing Myers press back into action. And he is certainly on that same page with with Cam Newton. You saw that on Monday night. Anytime Monday night, they needed a big play against the Jets. Cam Newton was looking to Jacoby Myers. And, you know, the the 2018 version of me, you know, if you went back and told me that, yeah, in a couple of years, Cam Newton's going to be trusting Jacoby Myers on a third and 20 (laughs) on a Monday night football game, I'd have thought you were crazy. 
but that's where we're at right now. And so Damian Bird was a huge acquisition in the offseason. But, you know, signing Jacoby Myers after last year's draft as an undrafted free agent might be one of the better wide receiver moves that the Patriots have made in a long time, to be honest. Any, anytime you can get a UDFA value like that, it's remarkable. And, you know, it's always necessity that is kind of the mother of some of these great breakouts. But he's caught 22 out of 28 balls the last three weeks. And, you know, that's that in, in and of itself, that's a, you know, that's a number yeah. one receiver kind of level. And he's done it for really good yardage as well. So uh, in terms of development hopes, that's probably the next place I want to talk in part because I know the Patriots are looking to next year, probably more than they're looking to this year at this point. And I don't want to you know put down the Patriots, but they're third and fourth year players in particular. Talk a little bit about them and what the plans might be, given that the Patriots have some cap to spend. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a good place to start would probably be Dietrich Wise, Derek Rivers, two of their guys from that 17 class. Rivers was a third-round pick, Dietrich Wise a, a fourth-round pick. And Derek Rivers was somebody that a lot of people liked in his draft class. Coming out of Youngstown State, a lot of people liked what he did at the Senior Bowl. I had a good chance to see him. I did get a chance to see him at the Senior Bowl, and you could see the quick hands, the athleticism. There were questions about whether that would translate to the NFL coming from an FCS school. And he showed that Senior week, senior Bowl week that he belonged at the next level. But then he had some injuries, and it didn't quite come together for him. But Bill Belichick was very complimentary of the way Rivers approached this you know, the most recent offseason and training camp period. You know, he spoke glowingly about how Rivers added some weight, added some strength and some speed. And so he's made a couple of big plays for them this year. Had a big pressure on Joe Flacco on Monday night. And then Dietrich Wise, who was kind of the afterthought after they had drafted Rivers, he had more of a role the past couple of seasons as a guy up front for them. And those two, particularly with the absence of Lawrence Guy, you know, last week, have had to step up a bit, a bit up front for them on the defensive side of the ball. So that's a good place to start those two players. If you want to look offensively, I think you sort of have to look Joe Tooney, who's been a rock for them at the left guard spot, member of that 2016 class, um, certainly a player that they count on. He was a free agent this offseason, um, but they got a deal done with him. Um, the offensive line might be the best core unit of this entire team on both sides of the ball. Um, they're starting to piece together a group that they like. I, I think, you know, Michael Wendu is a rookie out of Michigan. Yeah. They really like him a lot. I know we're going to talk about him in a little bit, so I won't say too much there, but they've used him right tackle, right guard, left tackle. They've used him all over up front. Um, they've had to mix and match at times. David Andrews, their center was out. He had to move Joe Tooney to center. Um, but Joe Tooney, I think, is another in that sort of like three to four year range of a guy that is a core part of this team, both in the present and in the sort of short and long term going forward. Okay, so J.C. Jackson is another player who's uh, – was he a first-round draft pick originally? No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. J.C. Jackson was a – unless I miss it, he was an undrafted free agent. Yeah. They've had some success, Ken, over the years in that UDFA range. Um, Malcolm Butler obviously was one out of Alabama State. Now he's obviously with the Tennessee Titans, but made one of the biggest plays in Super Bowl history. The same thing with J.C. Jackson, an undrafted free agent. Local kid too, uh, but they really sort of liked him you know, local to Maryland. And so, you know, he's had to step up in the absence of Stephon Gilmore. And even though he made some bad plays, had some bad moments Monday night, you know, JC Jackson is a player that maybe in 2022 other locker rooms, 
is probably a CB1. It's right. just because they have Stephon Gilmore, and we know what he can do as a corner. He's had to play more of that CB2 type of role, although he stepped out of that shadow the last couple of weeks and had the big interception on Monday night of Joe Flacco. So you're you're the GM for the Patriots. Is Jackson a guy you try and extend this offseason? He'll be he'll be done with three years going into RFA year. Seems like a natural time to get him extended for maybe three years if you could. I think so, Ken. I, I think that's the priority between, you know, getting sort of a long-term deal done with Stephon Gilmore or JC Jackson. I'm going with JC Jackson. There are a lot of people, and I would have put myself in this camp that thought if the Patriots were going to be sellers at the trade deadline last week, that Stephon Gilmore would be the player they mm-hmm. would move. Um, obviously, there's a higher salary there. Um, you could free up a bit more cap space if you move uh, Stephon Gilmore as opposed to with J.C. Jackson. And look, J.C. Jackson's just 25. And so this might be, like you said, the time he's entering that RFA year to get a long-term deal done with him. I heard, you know, Diane Rossini and others saying, that, look, you know, they were looking for a first-round pick for Stephon Gilmore. You know, maybe teams would be willing to pay that. I think eventually somebody would. Um, so I think they could get a good return for Stephon Gilmore. And given the depth that they have in the secondary, although some of the guys haven't panned out immediately like they would have hoped, I think Stephon Gilmore is the guy that they would move. J.C. Jackson is the guy you keep in-house. All right. One, J.C. Jackson is an interesting connection to the Ravens here because he's now, and i got to get this right, I think it's fourth all-time in adjusted interceptions per 16 games of guys who have 15 or more career interceptions. And I think he has 17 now. I might be slightly wrong. But he he's one of the only four people that are ahead of Ed Reed. And Marcus Peters was number one on that list, but another player moved in, uh, Miami, Xavier Howard, just moved yeah. in with over 15 interceptions. So uh, anyway, that, that group is remarkable in terms of their interception rates, and those are the guys that are, that are now ahead of Reed. Uh, I, I look at it as as a player like Jackson is hitting like 420, going for a 400. If, if Ed Reed's career seven and a half interceptions adjusted basis uh, is hitting 400 on a full season, he's hitting 410 on May the 10th, yeah. and and Peters is hitting 425 on uh, July at the All Star break. Let's say let's That's simplify this analogy. Yep, that makes sense. Yep. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's go back uh, the draft. Is the, is the next thing I want to talk about. I, I, Kyle Duggar, uh, you know, a lot of people had him in different places in terms of where he'd be drafted. Uh, going in the second round, I think, is a little higher than some people thought, but, but still, tell us about him. In many ways, this was both the quintessential Belichick pick and a departure from the quintessential Belichick pick. You know, I said on Twitter and elsewhere before the draft that, You know, everybody's expecting Belichick. Maybe he takes a quarterback. Maybe he does something different. He's going to take a safety. That's that's Bill Belichick. He's going to draft some random safety. Everybody should prepare themselves for that. And that's what they did. They drafted Kyle Duggar, a kid from Lenore Ryan, a Division II school. Um, So it's sort of the quintessential Belichick pick in that they drafted defense. They drafted a secondary player. They drafted somebody that's a little bit outside of the norm. But where I think it was a bit of a departure from that quintessential Belichick selection is that there were some other players in this draft class, say uh, Xavier McKinney, if they wanted to go safety, that might have been your traditional Belichick selection, a guy from Alabama, there's the saving Belichick connection, somebody that has run a system that you could drop him into New England's first day of training camp, and he knows the playbook. You know, there's a lot of overlap between what Belichick runs and what Saban runs down at Alabama. And so you would have thought he would have gone in that direction. But instead, 
he bet a bit on athleticism. You see Kyle Duggar down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. Then we get to see him out in Indianapolis at the Combine. And this guy showed he belonged down in Mobile where he was – he and Jeremy Chin, Ken. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Chin obviously was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. Those two guys stood out the entire week. When you saw the ball, those guys were right near it no matter what was happening. So those guys both really impressed me. And then both of them went to Indianapolis. And as they say, they tested out of the gym. And so where normally Belichick makes that bet on a guy that's a smart player, special teams, three-year captain, you know, maybe doesn't test that well, but you're betting on the mind. No, he wanted a different direction. He bet on the athleticism. And so while it was in part a quintessential Belichick pick by picking a safety when everybody wanted to do something else, he also made that bet on athleticism. Now that hasn't panned out the way people would have liked. He was being used more often early in the season. Now the snaps have kind of dwindled a little bit. There was a time that they thought, oh, he might be sort of the tight end eraser type, and that hasn't quite panned out. But this was supposed to be a a gap year, a a year where he was going to caddy for Patrick Chun and carry the clubs for a season and then perhaps take on a bigger role if they moved away from Patrick Chun in this upcoming offseason. Instead, he's had to play a lot more than they expected, probably more than they hoped for, and there's been a bit of an adjustment. But I think in the long term, they're going to be glad that they picked him because there is that athleticism, which I think will translate well to the field. That's that's interesting. I, all interesting stuff, but I'm really perked up my ears on Xavier McKinney because he was one of four players that I thought the Ravens might do very well with in the first round at number 28. And the the guy, the first guy I wanted was long gone, and that was a lineman, Javon Kinlaw. But the others, yeah. McKinney would have been next. Delpit would have been an okay, uh, okay one as well. And Epinesa was the was the last one on the list for yeah. for me. But it was they took Patrick Queen. I think they got decent value on, on Queen. It's just I don't really believe in in spending a lot of draft capital at inside linebacker. McKinney yeah. to me was a uh, was a great would have been a great pick. He went at thirty six to the Giants. So I guess. Belichick might have had to move up a spot to get him or do something, but uh, I, I, we still, I guess, won't know if McKinney was his first choice or his second relative to Duggar. Yeah, we won't. Um, and, and, you know, every time I did a mock draft, you know, when I had the idea of putting McKinney in the first round, I kept saying, oh, you know, Belichick might trade out of the first, which they did. They traded out of the first and the Chargers came up. Mm-hmm. But maybe he comes back in at the end of the first round to draft Xavier McKinney. Turns out that's what the Giants did, and then he got hurt. Um, maybe we might see him return to practice. That's kind of what we're hearing that Xavier McKinney might come back, but I'm with you. I thought he was sort of a quintessential new England Patriot. Yeah. Now, Josh Uche, another guy who has been, uh, you know, came as came with the reputation as a very technical pass rusher out of school, but how, how has that worked out at new England? Um, it's, it's been up and down at times. Um, there were some injury issues and it took a while to get him on the field. Um, he's sort of that tweener type, you know, when he was down at Mobile, he showed you can give that pass rush off the edge. He also showed that on film at Michigan. Um, they've carved out some opportunities for him in the past couple of weeks, and he's flashed some pass rush, and they're going to need that. You know, that's a, still a question mark for his defense right now. You saw that Monday night against the Jets. There were times where Joe Flacco had all day to throw. They really need to figure out a way to get pressure on opposing quarterbacks. They've typically been a team that tries to get blitzes and stunts and cover zero blitz stuff and just overwhelming you with numbers. And even that hasn't really worked. They've still shown an inability to consistently get pressure. They'd like to see more from Josh Uche. I think with more time and more reps, he might give them what they want, but I'm not sure he's going to get that figured out by, say, Sunday night at 8 p.m. Oh, okay. That's fine. Anytime after that would be fine. Yeah, right. right. He's, he's like, uh, 
obviously he, he, he was highly thought of by some people here in Baltimore. Um, the guy I really love, though, is the next guy on the list here, Michael Oweno. You guys getting him at 182 just breaks my heart. And, and especially I, I watched a lot of film of the Michigan linemen. A lot of people in Baltimore wanted Ruiz. I thought he's way overvalued to be in the first round. Uh, way overvalued. I loved him between 45 and 60. I hated him at 28. Let's put it that way. Um, Bredesen, the left guard, very intelligent guy, probably will play center in the NFL because at his arm length, that's really the only thing that'll work. Um, but Awena was the guy I really loved of the three. And and for the Ravens to get Bredesen at 143 and you guys to get Awena at, at 182 just absolutely crushes me. I mean, you know, something around Michigan football players in the sixth round for New England, I guess, right? I mean, he's look, there were a lot of people that I talked to at Indi- out in Indianapolis um, that said, yeah, look, Ruiz is great. Uh, Bredesen, you know, he's going to be a day three pick, and he might, you know, you know, find his way to a starting lineup at some point. But keep an eye on, you know, this kid because he can play anywhere. He's got athleticism. He's got power. He's got fantastic hands. He's got a great second step, which is so critical to offensive line play. And, you know, as they've needed to sort of patch things together up front with some injuries and opt-outs and things like that, they basically used him as plug-and-play. You know, he's right now, he's basically their starting right tackle, but he's seen time at right guard. He's seen time at left guard. You know, they've basically moved him around, and everywhere he's been, he's been solid. And I'm looking at this kid now as – this is the cornerstone of their offensive oh, yeah. line for the next 10 years between Isaiah Wynn at left tackle and him at right tackle. You've got your bookend tackles for the next 10 years, so you've at least figured that out. Now, maybe there's a chance that they feel his best spot is right guard. Shaq Mason has been a bit up and down. But either way, look, him, when they've got those two guys, those two sort of cornerstone-type pieces set for the next, like say, eight to 10 years. It's it's uh, to me that's it's a he's a remarkable find and again one of the real steals of the draft and somehow the Patriots seem to do it with less draft capital than most teams in most years because of their playoff position has always set them back a little bit in terms of draft capital but they still have have come out with great selections so just jealous as hell here yeah he's 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 gonna be a good one he already is a good one yeah you go uh, let's move over to the offense here a little bit. Um, what do you see being Newton's future? Is he a one-year stopgap player, or will he be around for next year? You know, if you would ask me that, say, three weeks ago, I would have said, you know, they'll probably find a way to get a short-term extension done, perhaps two years with a team option or something like that, one year with a team option. And I might still sort of be there with that, but I think the idea that he's the, you know, the four- or five-year answer at the quarterback position is probably dwindling away. While he's been better the past two weeks, um, I think there's an inconsistency to Cam Newton that is probably making it, you know, less likely that he's going to be the guy. Uh, I would not be surprised at all. You're hearing people already say, look, they might have to go quarterback in the first round. It wouldn't surprise me at all if that's what they decide to do, especially if this season ends where some people would like it to end with them, you know, four and 12 or something like that, where they actually get a chance to, like you just said, Ken, actually have an early pick and use some draft capital and invest it in the quarterback position because they haven't had a need to do that, let alone the opportunity to do that in two decades, you know, during that Tom Brady run. Yeah. It and really so doesn't I, come along very often. It doesn't come along that often. And so, you know, I, I, that's why I think many are of the mind that if they do have that kind of finish, you take advantage of the opportunity that presents, you know, and maybe you draft a quarterback, but you still think, look, we'll bring them along slowly while we have Cam Newton. You know, I think, he, like I said, Kim's been better the past couple of weeks. 
but there's an inconsistency to the passing game that I think is frustrating Patriots fans right now because they're so used to, and they're yes, we could say it. They've been spoiled for 20 years of Tom Brady that when you have things like, you know, poor ball placement at times and, you know, throws that don't allow for yardage after the catch and things like that. People are like, what, what is happening here? And it's like, well, that's how the rest of the world has been living for the past 20 years, guys. Like this is how you'd sometimes see the quarterback position play. Um, I do think that, like I said, he's gotten better the past two weeks. I think he was 45 of 62 for 448 over those past two games, no touchdowns, but no interceptions. And also, 19 carries for 70 yards and three touchdowns over that two-game stretch. They had a chance to beat Buffalo at the end. He fumbled that one away when he was trying to make an athletic play, which one of those things where you hate to see it, but you understand it because he's trying to make an athletic play. So I don't think he's the long-term answer. He might be around here for another couple of years. Um, It hasn't been the great success that many hoped it would be, but it hasn't been a catastrophic failure that some predicted it would be. All right, obviously we ate some of our dessert first, and for me that's the offensive line play and talking about that. But take us through the offensive line player by player from window, Wayno, and and who's there now among the starters. Yeah, I mean, I think they've settled on – they've had multiple combinations, multiple iterations of the, of the starting offensive line, but they've settled right now. We've got Wynn at left tackle, Joe Tooney at left guard, David Andrews at center, Shaq Mason right guard, and Michael Wenu at right tackle. When there were a lot of people that had questions whether he could – play left tackle, even play tackle period because of the arm length, but he showed with footwork and technique. He's gotten better at playing that position. He's gotten beat up at times. Uh, Bradley Chubb in that um, Denver Broncos game had a really bad sack. I mean, well, Chubb had a great sack, went at a really bad rep against him where he just got blasted into Cam Newton's back. Um, so there's been some up and down, but for the most part, Win has been solid. He's athletic. They love to run power toss with him getting in front. You know, this is a running football team right now. And they love to run power toss, that crack toss with the receiver cracking to the inside, getting the tackle out in front of that. And they'd love to do that with Win. That's where they use his athleticism to get him in space a bit. Uh, we talked about Joe Tooney a little bit, but he's sort of a rock uh, at the left guard spot. Um, technically sound, doesn't give up much in terms of pass rush, whether it's a bull rush technique on the inside, or if you bring down linebackers in the A gap and try to use speed against them, he handles his own there. Uh, David Andrews, the center, another very solid player. They certainly missed him last year because um, he's sort of the captain of this group, and they missed him at times this year when he was out with an early hand injury, but he's back now. Uh, very smart player. You saw some of that process and speed on Monday night. There was a big run from Damian Harris when the Jets brought a double A gap blitz, and he saw it late, made the adjustment, picked it up, helped spring Damian Harris on that run. Shaq Mason, the right guard, bit more up and down than people are used to. They gave him a big extension a couple of years ago. Also, though, an athletic guy comes from that Georgia Tech background where you're doing a lot of pulling, a lot of movement, and that flex, he was there with the Paul Johnson flex bone, triple option type stuff. So they use him on some of the, the their interior gap and pull plays and those short traps. Uh, they'll use him on those. Um, so if you see the running counter, short traps on the inside, it's usually Shaq Mason who's going to be leading you to the football. And we talked about Michael Wynn, um, fantastic you know, rookie out of Michigan, and he's really done a great job for them. They've basically used him, a, like I said, pretty much everywhere, but most notably, most often at that right tackle spot, and he's been fantastic. Yeah, I, I'm just uh, – I'll let the jealousy drop for a second. The wide receiver court probably going to be a pretty short discussion here at this point. 
short oh, oh, discussion. I, I want to ask you one one more thing about alignment. Jermaine Illuminor has been often on the injury report this year, but I think he went actually on IR yesterday, didn't he? Yeah, um, you know, he was battling injuries. He was there, you know, sec- he, he was supposed to be their swing tackle and you had the Marcus Cannon opt out. And so he sort of became their, you know, right tackle. Now he's on the IR with designated for return, um, but he's still on that right now. So it, you won't see him Sunday. Uh, maybe they bring him back. Maybe not. A lot of that might depend on how the rest of the season shakes out. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. So let's go to the wide receivers for the for the short discussion here. Yeah, and it's going to be a quick one. Look, Julian Edelman's hurt. Nikhil Harry, he got hurt against uh, San Francisco, and I'm not expecting him back. Um, this has really become a, tw- a 21 personnel team. Damian Bird and Jacoby Myers. Myers is the guy that it seems like has the bulk of the targets right now over the past couple of weeks. Um, they'll use him on a lot of in cuts, uh, crossers. They'll dial up some corner routes and some deeper stuff for him, but he's the more diverse route runner of the two. Most of what Damian Bird does is going to be on that vertical stem. You're going to see hitches, comebacks, curls, and goes. Like That's Mm -hmm. kind of how they've used those guys. And conceptually, this offense now, they do a lot of two and three receiver route concepts where you you watch that game Monday night, you watch the All-22. A lot of their plays were just – Bird on some sort of vertical stem route and then a corner route from, you know, Jacoby Myers or a dig from Jacoby Myers and then either a chip and release from the tight end or a chip and release from the fullback. A lot of their stuff is that two set blockers out of the remaining three you're saying with one chip and release. Oh, wow. Uh, And they really have done that in the past couple of weeks to really sort of simplify what Cam Newton has to read and whether that's, you know, a learning curve thing whether that's how they feel about, you know, what puts them in a best position to be successful, whatever the reason they're doing a lot more of that in in recent weeks, Ken. So, you know, the wide receiver discussion is quick. The tight end discussion might even be quicker, you know, because, (laughs) you know, Ryan Izzo, um, he's caught some balls for them, um, but he's not certainly somebody that's going to keep you up at night. If you're, you know, Wink Martindale, you're wondering about how you're going to defend these guys. You're not worried about Ryan Izzo. You know, they drafted the two rookie tight ends, Devin ICSC is now on IR. Um, so they've had, they used Dalton Keene in the end of that San Francisco game. He's more of your move type tight end, H back type guy. That's what he was at Virginia Tech, mm-hmm. but they haven't relied on him much. I mean, the tight end position has been since the retirement of Gronkowski a black hole for this team, and it continues to be a black hole for this team right now. Okay, so I've got to ask this question that arises naturally from this. You only have two wide receivers you can even bring on the field. You only have one tight end you use most of the time, and you're a committed 21 personnel team, which means I don't know if there are three running backs to choose from. We'll get to that in a minute. But does that provide an opportunity to do more no huddle, or does it put a bigger onus on playing no huddle because you're, I mean, no huddle, you you always play your same 11. Is Newton running an offense that has a similar pace to what Brady was able to run? No, I mean, I, I can't remember absent sort of two minute situations, them using tempo from a strategic standpoint. Um, they are really sort of a traditional grinded out type of team now. And uh, I've used this expression before. You know, it seems like they are trying to build a team to win 17, 14 rock fights. Hmm. Like that's what they're trying to do. The problem is, you don't see a lot of 17, 14 rock fights in the 2020 version of the National Football League. Uh, it's more of a high-paced, high, high paced, 
high scoring league right now. Um, so they're trying to sort of turn back the clock a bit and three and five tells you how it's going. Well, we've seen some past Ravens years certainly like that. And a lot of years where they're trying to win games exactly like that. So, uh, we can, we can at least commiserate with you in terms of the running backs, obviously, uh, Burkhead, uh, still a factor. Introducing the Lowe's list for innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry first two in one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load and with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine. This product is a must have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Uh, how's White been this year? White's been up and down. Now, obviously, you had the horrible situation uh, with his parents in a car accident and the passing of his father, so he missed some time as a result of that. And what's been interesting is, you know, I thought that James White might carve out a bigger role with Cam Newton. Because I was sort of envisioning a lot of those plays where you've got the outside zone look from the running back, the quarterback meeting him at the mesh point, and maybe he keeps it and keeps it inside while you get that outside zone action from the running back. And I thought that really would fit what James White was doing. They haven't used him on a lot of that. And then they did Monday night on a fourth down, and he fumbled. <laughs> um, the receiving part of the game from a running back perspective isn't quite there in the playbook. You know, there have been moments when they've tried to get James White involved in the downfield passing game, but Newton has missed on some of those throws. He had a miss um, early in the game against San Francisco on a third down situation to White, where it was a low throw. White had to adjust to it and he gets stopped. Uh, there was a miss on a play against the Jets early in that game, similar situation where the throw was low. So they've used him in screens and things like that, but he hasn't been as big a component of this offense this year as he has been in years past. And really over the past couple of weeks, Ken, it's been Damian Harris. Now he got knocked out of the game against New York with a chest injury. And he was one of the 17 players on the injury list (laughs) uh, that came out today on Wednesday morning. So, you know, maybe he's going to be a good, you know, good to go on Sunday night. You know, what they like with him is he gives you both. Harris gives you that outside zone game. He gives you that gap and power stuff on the inside much more of a decisive runner than Sonny Michel. The problem with Sonny Michel, and now he's also dealing with injuries, but when he was healthy, was he was much too indecisive on those zone run schemes. And when they lost James Devlin, he seemed very tentative on gap and power stuff following behind now Jakob Johnson, uh, their current fullback. It seemed like the, the injury and then the retirement of James Devlin really sort of stunted Sony Michelle's development. And so Rex Burkhead and Damian Harris, like those are the two guys they rely on the most right now um, as their two running backs. And and do they play a fair amount of pony with that then? Because obviously the, the fullback has not played nearly all the snaps. Do they playing a lot of two man pony or two, two they've, they, they've done some pony Ken. Um, but for the most part, you know they're using they're using the fullback a lot now in the past couple of weeks. They they've worked in some pony. Um, they've done that with both Burkhead and White on the on the field at the same time. They've done it some, although not as much with Burkhead and Harris. Um, they're relying on Jakob Johnson, um, who was an international player. You know he's caught a couple of passes, but really he's a sixth offensive lineman. Maybe if you want to say a seventh offensive lineman, if you count the tight end as is an additional offensive lineman. Um, they do some lead stuff with him, some lead zone with him. Um, some short traps with him as well. 
Um, but this is a 21 personnel team right now. So a lot of the embarrassment of riches on offense, aside from the offensive line, which is obviously very good, is it running back? Is, the, is there any part of you that looks at how Harris has played this year and said he's been too good to get only the snaps he's got? That he had 28 snaps, I think, against the Jets, and that's the most he had this year. Or, yeah. or, or are you happy with the spread, and that's part of why it's successful? I mean, I, I'd like to see Harris get more because um, I think he gives them a bit more burst and explosiveness and toughness. He's had some tough runs. But I also understand that, look, Rex Burkhead, they really trust him. And he's a more dangerous weapon in the passing game. And if you want to run screens – if you want to run some designed quarterback, run, I mean, some designed running back throws, um, he's the guy that they trust on those. They don't quite trust Harris there. They trust Harris in pass protection. Um, they trust White, obviously, in pass protection. Um, so I do, in a sense, like the spread. I would like to see Harris get more carries. The problem is, you know, who do you take that away from? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it is, like you said, the embarrassment of riches. That running back room is a deep room. And when you've got problems with tight end, You've got problems at wide receiver in a sense. It's nice to at least have that. And the, and someone like White or perhaps Harris, do they act uh, at all as a third wide receiver ever? Do they do they line up outside a fair amount? You've you've seen that more from White and Burkhead. They haven't done that with Harris. They've maybe done it like once or twice. Uh, but it's really with White or Burkhead where you might see those guys, you know, start out an empty. They love to do that, and they still do that. It's part of what they did with Brady was to start out an empty, get a look from the defense, and then bring the running back back into the formation. Uh, they would typically do that with White. They've done it a couple of times with Burkhead, um, maybe a smattering of snaps with, with Harris doing that. So they will do still do that to get that sort of pre-snap look from the defense, but they haven't really used it as a weapon. As a matter of fact, that Edelman interception I mentioned earlier from a that San Francisco game, that was one of the rare moments where they went with that empty look with Burkett outside to the left, and Burkett was open, and Newton didn't throw to him. And maybe that's what sort of spelled the death knell for that over the past two weeks. <laughs> All right. That's some wonderful depth on the offense. Let's move over to the defensive side and talk a little bit about things. Now, the first question I always like to ask is, what's the most common base and then the pass defense look they'll show? So, you know, what do they line up with when they when a typical 11 personnel is shown? And I guess with the Ravens, it's more typically either 12 or 21 personnel on first down. And and a, uh, a pass defense look they, they'd show against, say, 11 personnel on third down. Well, Ken, I wish I could tell you a definitive answer because they're still trying to figure that out. And what I mean by that is this, um, from charting them just the past couple of weeks, okay, against San Francisco, San Francisco, obviously a very heavy 21 personnel team, Juice Jack, Kittle, you understand that. They had 52 plays where they went with four defensive linemen with a lot of 4-3 to that. They had 16 plays where they went with three defensive linemen, primarily Primarily three two six, but with some three one seven mixed into that. Wow! But then, but then last week, you know, Monday night against the Jets, they had thirty two snaps. Ken, where they were in a five one five. Now, okay. part of that might have been, you know, they had some injuries, particularly linebacker Juwan Bentley was out, um, so they were trying to piece things together. Uh, but they—that's just the past two weeks. You know, they've been. Sub at times, there were a lot of times where they were, you know, a four-two-five, three-two-six kind of team. But then against the Jets, and this wasn't just on third and short situations. I'm talking they came out. You're in eleven. We're in five-one-five. Okay, you're so in twelve. 
were in 515. I, I need so to do just a little translation for my typical audience here. That's that's the that's the defense I label as jumbo nickel. So you have one inside linebacker, you have two outside linebackers on the field and three down linemen. That's really what 515 means to you? Well, the 515 package they were using, they had two defensive ends okay. as the outside guys in that five-man front. So you've got three down linemen, two defensive ends. Standing. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so might have some some definitional difference there in terms of where we're starting from, but I, I think we're basically in the same spot. But you mentioned then they play a lot of actual dime personnel where they have a third safety or a fourth corner. Um, that varies um, who that sixth defensive back is, but for the most part, they like a lot of three safety packages. Um, so you will see a lot of Adrian Phillips, Terrence Brooks, and Devin McCourty, or Adrian Phillips, Devin McCourty, and then either Kyle Duggar, or Jawan Williams, who they've used as a safety this year. Um, so they play – they really think that the strength of this defense still is in the secondary. Mm-hmm. And so they will throw numbers at you, whether it's five, whether it's six, whether it's seven defensive backs. And, you know, that three-two-six sort of sub-package is something that they've used a lot over the Belichick run in the recent, recent history. I mean, you look back, some of those games against the Kansas City Chiefs, third and one, you know, first and goal from the three – they're out there at a three-two-six package, <laughs> basically daring you to run the ball. Now, you know when you start to think about what they're going to do against the Ravens on Sunday night. You look back at last year. Last year they did a lot of three-three-five, three-five-three. Even you know they really started last year's game in a base three-four. You know that's how they came out to start of the game last year, and then that didn't work on the opening drive. And that's when they went to a three-five-three with five linebackers on the field. And that certainly didn't work. Um, so might we see this sort of five-man front um, that they used last week against the Jets? Perhaps. Um, but a lot of it might depend on who's healthy for them. Because in that sort of you know one-linebacker package, the one-linebacker was Therese Hall, who's basically you know a depth guy for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're figuring it out. They're figuring it out. They don't really have like a base, um, that they'll, that they'll, a base front that they'll just say, look, this is our bread and butter. Like whatever you're in, we're going to run three, four, we're going to run four, three, we're going to run four, two, five. They're figuring that part out. Okay. And and who's their safety? Who's the best run fit guy who would be helping in a, like I'll call it a five, one, five package or a jumbo. Nickel. Yeah. Yeah. It's Adrian Phillips uh, who they signed um, from the Chargers. Chargers off yeah. Season. yeah. They've used him, Ken, as sort of that hybrid, you know, you see that a lot now where teams have that sort of hybrid type joker type safety that you'll bring down in the box, sort of that Patrick Chun role. You know, when they had Patrick Chun, they would go a lot with that sort of three-two-six, but they could turn that into that you know, you know, four-man front on the fly, or even a five-man front on the fly, and then bring Patrick Chun down to play linebacker. That's how you use an Adrian Phillips. He's the guy that's going to be down in the box. You know, he might be the guy that you know on third downs might get tasked with spying Lamar Jackson, or he might get tasked with sort of putting his nose on the football. If you're going to run that sort of scrape exchange stuff, where you're going to sell out, make the quarterback keep it on that zone read, he'll be the guy scraping to the outside. So Adrian Phillips would be the guy sort of in that role. Okay, so the Ravens fans will remember Adrian Phillips. He was part of the seven DB group that basically beat the Ravens in the 2018 playoff game. Yep. So uh, you know that was that hurts still. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about rotation, depth, and snap management. Usually when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about the defensive line where the rotation is really paramount. Uh, do they have enough bodies there right now to get the rotation you would like? No, they don't. 
Um, and part of that was, you know, with Lawrence Guy's injury, you know, if, if you're talking about a guy that's sort of, I don't want to say cornerstone type player, but, you know, probably the most dependable up front, it's Lawrence Guy. He's been out battling injuries. Brian Cowart, um, another Maryland guy, um, he's flashed at times. Uh, they used Nick Thurman um, last week and the week before that, another undrafted type of player. Um, they've really sort of relied on John Simon at one defensive end and then pieced it together on the other side. Um, Chase Woodovich, who was a third-round pick for them last year, his snap counts really dropped over the previous two weeks. Uh, they kicked up a notch last week. They used him more, doing part to some of these injuries. Um, showed a couple of plays where you know he could help against the run. He could give you a little bit of pass rush. But the rotational aspect to it, it's not where they'd like it to be. It's not where I'd like it to be. Um, it's a really thin group. I think that, you know, absent the quarterback position, that's an area I think they have to make some investments in in this offseason with, with the cap space that they have and the draft capital that they have. They need to get something from Anthony Jennings. Um, they've started to work him into the lineup a bit. I'd like to see them use him more Alabama player that they got in the third round. I'd like to see them use him in a bit of that rotation. You could use him at inside linebacker. You could drop him down to the edge. I'd like to see him get some more snaps. Adam Butler has been in and out of the lineup. He's a player that I think could give them a bit more, but he hasn't quite lived up to it. So, yeah, Ken, this defensive line, defensive front, it's not as deep as I'd like it to be. The rotation isn't enough. And particularly, look, when you start thinking about Sunday night, and you see when the Ravens went to that sort of a bit of tempo in the second half that seemed to jumpstart that offense a bit, that's a concern for me, you know, because the, the, if that defensive front gets worn down, especially if Greg Roman starts using that tempo to wear those guys down up front, that could spell doom for this Patriots defense on Sunday on Sunday night. I, I think that'll be a priority is winning snap count and, and yeah. seeing if that could be done, obviously. Uh, is Have they been activating a number on game day that is extra at that position? Like one of the things the Ravens have been doing that's just driving me nuts is they'll frequently activate only four defensive linemen, which they don't use a lot of defensive linemen per play because they use a lot of outside linebackers at the line of scrimmage and pass rush downs, but I still hate it. it it's, it's too much risk. Yeah, I mean, they've been – usually you see like two or three guys on the defensive front at the start of the year would be inactive. And you'd be like, okay, well, that makes sense. They they trust their secondary. They trust their linebackers. Monday night against the Jets, it was just a guy who was inactive. They basically threw all the bodies they had at it, um, and they still couldn't get it right. Now, maybe that was a game plan specific thing. Like I said, with that five-man front, however you're defining that, um, you know, with the defensive ends and stuff mixed in, maybe they're like, look, this is what we're going to do you know, because of the injuries we have, you know, Jawan Bentley's banged up. We're very thin at linebacker, so we're going to solve the problem with bodies up front. And if they get, you know, some of the linebackers back this week, like Jawan Bentley, then maybe it changes. Um, but, yeah, they just threw numbers at the problem against the Jets. And the Jets and Frank Gore were still running the ball all over. Yeah. Anyway, that's uh, uh, obviously a problem that that uh, that has come up from time to time. But the Ravens, very fortunately, even when they've had the problem, they've been able to go to the street and get the guys. And, and I, I guess one of the questions I would have is, I think the Mata Pekka is still out there right now. Yeah. And there, there'd be other players too, but Pekka was a was a godsend for the Ravens' defensive line last year when they brought him in. Yeah, I mean, look, there are bodies out there to be had. I mean, you look at some of the moves that have been made in the past couple of weeks, I mean – Yannick Ngakwe is suddenly a Baltimore Raven. I mean, there were moves that teams could have made 
Patriots haven't made any of them. And uh, maybe that points to the we're trying to set ourselves up for 2021 more than anything else kind of answer. Maybe there is something to that. But part of that, if they're really trying to set themselves up for 2021, if that was the only consideration, then they'd have taken less for Gilmore and moved him. And, and I, right. I have heard the argument said that there, there wasn't enough draft capital out there among the buyers to create a deal for Gilmore. And that, that what that, you know, what that speaks to is you just got to take less when the market demands it. But the Patriots are in a good position because they really can wait on a good deal to come, given the amount of cap space they have relative to other teams. They're going to pick the yeah. bones of other teams in the free agency this coming year. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, Ken, that's exactly right. You know, they're looking at, you know, if, if we don't get what we want for Stephon Gilmore, okay, you know, we'll live with it because we have cap space. And, you know, there are going to be guys available. There are going to be players available that we will be satisfied with. And that's one thing that they've always done pretty well. Uh, you know, they're not 100%. You know, no team is. But they've done pretty well in free agent, particularly that secondary free agent market mm-hmm. where, you know, we'll let you overpay for a Trey Flowers and sign him away from us. That's fine. You'll get Lawrence you know, Guy. <laughs> we'll get Lawrence Guy. Yeah. We'll get, you know, Kyle Van Noy. We'll get a Jamie Collins again. We'll, we'll nibble around day two and day three of free agency when everybody's spent all their money that's when we're going to swoop in and they'll do more of that i'd imagine you know in this upcoming off season there's gonna be lots of value there i mean i think there are a lot of players will get released and there'll be a lot of players who are trying to sign cheap deals with their current team and that's where the patriots can sweep in and, and yeah. belichick can work his magic and get them yeah all right i i know there's not much at linebacker let's talk about it a little bit in terms of what platooning they've they've done there i guess most of it is with 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 safeties but talk a little bit about the inside linebacker core when they drafted Juwan Bentley out of Purdue, he was a fifth round pick in 2018. There were a lot of people, and I would put myself in this category and said, you know, he's a dinosaur. He's a throwback. He's a two down thumper. And then in that sort of preseason, he showed you some coverage skills where you thought maybe there's more to that. Maybe the Patriots got this right. It seems like now that we're seeing him thrust into that full-time role, he's a two down thumper. Um, He can stop the run. He's very technically sound from a run fit perspective. You know, I don't know run fits 100%, um, but I know when they're done right, and he does them right. So he could be a critical part of their game plan, I would say, on Sunday night. Outside of that, though, if you want to look at opt-outs and you want to look at what happened this past offseason, there was no position group that got hurt more than the linebacker room because they lost Kyle Van Noy. They lost Jamie Collins. They lost to Landon Roberts. And now you have Dante Hightower opting out. You know, when I mentioned earlier that they played with a five-man linebacker package against the Ravens last year, there's four of them. Mm-hmm. And the only one that's still here is Juwan Bentley. They've tried to piece it together with, with Jennings. They've used Adrian Phillips and Terrence Brooks and other safety as pseudo-linebackers. Um, but it's a weakness now. It's a weakness. And there's a lack of athleticism at the second level, which when you try to replace that with safety types like Phillips and Brooks and at times Kyle Duggar, maybe you've got some athleticism, but then when you've got teams that can run downhill and can get guards up to the second level, you're going to be outmanned at that point. And so there are opportunities when they go with this life package. And, you know, if you watch Monday night's game, you know, Lewis Riddick was talking about Brian Greasy was talking about when you're, you know, five one five three two six, and you start getting those guys flowing to the second level. Now you've got guards on safeties. That's a recipe for disaster. You know, trying to stop the run. And so, 
Now looking ahead to Baltimore, that's going to keep, you know, Stephen Belich- Steve Belichick, Bill Belichick up at night. How are we going to stop the run if we're outmanned at the second level? Yeah, that, that'll be interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm predicting a big game out of Miles Boykin here as a run blocker. I hope he'll get some targets as well because we, we all do hope that that eventually works out. But he's been a terrific run blocker. And, you know, having a wide receiver who can do that, having a tight end who can line up in the backfield and throw a block for you. Mark Andrews, I don't think of him as being a particularly good blocker. and He's, he's mostly a split receiver when he's on the field. They lined up, uh, you know, in a tight formation, made an unbelievable block on the nine-yard TD run by Jackson this last week. So uh, you probably saw the highlight of that. So yep. I, you know, I think that's where the Ravens can make a – Defense that tries to play small look bad. They didn't do it in that 2018 playoff game, but they have the matchups they want now, I think, to use skill position players to make blocks there. Yeah, yeah. And and that's certainly a concern because they don't have the personnel, Ken, to try that, you know, even just a base 3-4 right now. They don't have the personnel to do that. So if they're going to have to, you know, try to fill in the gaps with, with the safeties, that's a problem. All right. All right. Uh, the defensive backfield, why don't you take us through once uh, from, you know, across the umbrella there? Yeah. I mean, you know, at one cornerback spot, you've basically got Jason McCourty, um, you know, a savvy veteran type player, not a supreme athlete. Um, you know, if, if there are situations where you've got him, you know, matched up against some of the Ravens speed, that's not a good position for the Patriots to be in. Um, obviously, we know what Stephon Gilmore can do. Very talented trusted cornerback for Bill Belichick. You know, somebody that Belichick will put on George Kittle one week, will put on a Miles Boykin or a Hollywood Brown the next week, or they might put on Zach Ertz the week after that. Basically, Gilmore is the guy that if he's healthy, Belichick could have put him on your best player and say, look, that's your guy. I'll see you next week. I, I, I'm not worried. Um, but he's got the knee injury. And so we don't know if he's, he was limited again today on Wednesday. So we don't know if he's going to go. J.C. Jackson – Another solid corner, might be a CB1 and some other teams. Um, has a short-term memory. We saw that Monday night. Oh, yeah. Got beat a couple of times, had the big interception. He's got great recovery skills. Uh, he had a breakup on, there on the Jets' first drive where he got beat on a double-move type play but recovered. Technically sound at the catch point. Does a great job of sort of coming up through the pocket, how the Patriots teach it. Uh, there's a great coaching clinic when Matt Patricia was with New England. He gave a presentation at Notre Dame. You can find it on YouTube. Um, it's like an hour long on defensive breakdowns and film study and coaching techniques. But at like the 32-minute mark, he talks about coming up through the pocket, how they teach their defensive backs, and you saw it on that play. Um, so those guys can cover. They can cover well. Devin McCourty is as solid as it gets as a free safety in the National Football League, but obviously somebody with a cornerback's background, they can use him in coverage situations. They have used him at times on guys like Travis Kelsey to you play more man coverage with him. But this year, because of some of the lack of depth at the safety spot, they've really used him more as a free safety type. Kyle Duggar, like I said, they hoped he would be sort of a you know spot, spot snap guy, special teamer this year, but he's had to play a little bit more. They've used him in some half-field roles at times. They've never really trusted him as a middle-of-the-field post-safety, mostly down in the box, used him at tight, on tight ends at times. Same with Jawan Williams. He was a corner at Vanderbilt, but they've tried to use him more as a safety, tight end type of guy. Um, Jonathan Jones, I didn't mention him in the corners, but very, you know, spe- he's probably their best athlete of the corners. He's somebody that, when you know, when they play like a Tyreek Hill, you know, he will get that assignment. 
with some dedicated safety help over the top. You know, a good way to think about how they view their corner situation is, you know, Gilmore would get Sammy Watkins. They'd take Jones and they'd leave him on an island. Jonathan Jones would get Tyree Kill with some safety help. And then J.C. Jackson would get McCall Hardman. Then, again, would perhaps some safety help and they'd play more two high shells. Um, and then you got, you know, Terrence Brooks, Adrian Phillips. Those are your hybrid Joker-type players where, yes, they're safeties on the score sheet and, uh, you know, on the lineup but they're really used out of the box, uh, more of your safety linebackers type hybrid type players. So they really only trust them as a dime backer as opposed to as a deep, even a half field safety. Yeah. For the most part, look, for the most part, Belichick believes cover one is God's coverage. You know, that that's what, if he could play cover one on every single snap, that's what he would do. And so, yeah, you'd see those guys down in the box. Now this year, you know, against, for example, Kansas city, you saw a lot more cover two, cover four at times, um, playing some zone coverage techniques a couple of times against Seattle. You know, they tried to do some cover three to keep eyes on Russell Wilson. They got a pick six with that, but then the zone coverage started to cover, carve them up a little bit. Then, then that's when they went to man and you saw a wheel route touchdown against Adrian Phillips. Um, we got beat on a wheel route by the running back out of the backfield. And so, you know, like with everything else this year, Ken, they're trying to figure it out. And they haven't solved those questions yet. They haven't solved those riddles yet. And now we're here in the ninth game of the season, and you're still trying to figure it out. That's never a good thing for a team. It still sounds, honestly, you going through this group and me you know, pondering these the cornerbacks they have, the cornerback group is still very strong in terms of you know the numbers of quality players you have and, and what you can depend on there. McCourty might be the weakest of the group at this point, Jason. And- yeah, he might be. The, the issue is... In years past, you know, one of the things that I think we're starting to see about just football conceptually is safe cornerback play, safety play, coverage play in general can be a bit high variance. You know, in years past, like last year, for example, 2018 before that, this secondary was so good that the lack of a pass rush didn't matter. That even if you had as an opposing quarterback two, three, four, five seconds to throw – there weren't going to be breakdowns in the secondary of the New England Patriots. This year, there have been breakdowns. You know, there have been, you know, the exchange rules and the switch rules against bunches, for example. You're seeing breakdowns in those moments. You know, the, the 49ers had a, a single two-man stack, run a switch vertical out of it. Both guys cover the hitch. Mm-hmm. Nobody covers the wheel, and you get an easy throw. You know, these are the breakdowns we're seeing now from this defense that we haven't seen in years past. Now, whether that's a lack of training camp, a lack of preseason, whatever the reason, excuses don't matter. They're not getting it done. And maybe it's veterans making mistakes. Maybe it's newer players making mistakes. Maybe it's a rookie making a mistake. But the mistakes are being made. And when you combine that with the fact that they still can't get that pass rush, that's a problem. And so that's what we're seeing right now. The talent is certainly there. Look, I walked you through it. The secondary is talented, but the combination isn't right. And they're making mental mistakes, which is what you don't typically associate with a Bill Belichick coach defense. All right. I mean, I know they've, there have certainly been issues at linebacker and whatnot in terms of coverage, but the team as a whole has 12 touchdown passes allowed and 10 interceptions. That's exactly what you want. I mean, it's exactly what you want. Yeah. And uh, five of those touchdowns came against Seattle. I mean, so, you know, they've been good. The problem is for this team as a whole right now, 
the margin for error is slim. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not an offense that can really throw you back into a game. So as a defense, you have to be close to perfect. And when you're not and you get down 23-3 like they did against San Francisco, 18-3 like you did against Denver, you're in trouble as an offense. Now, in the Denver game, the defense stepped up, two interceptions in the fourth quarter of Drew Locke, gave him a chance to get back in the game. That didn't happen against San Francisco. And then before you know it, Jared Sinner's in the game and Cam Newton has a towel over his head and you're wondering about his future in New England. So – the margin for error is razor thin right now with this team. And even as talented as this defense has been and the, the numbers they put up have been good, they almost have to be perfect. And that's asking a lot. All right. All right. Outstanding stuff. So, so much depth. I really appreciate this, Mark. Give us one player you think matches up well against the Ravens. Uh, I, I don't think there's any need for score predictions, but who's, who's the one player? Last year it was Tom Brady you picked. Yeah. Yeah, and we don't have Tom Brady, so I can't make that pick again. <laughs> I'd love to, because uh, he might still be the best answer um, if, if he were on this team. But, you know, interestingly enough, I do think that they have something in Jacoby Myers. Um, you know, from his understanding of leverage, from his understanding of concepts, from his understanding of what a quarterback is looking for, given his experience at the position, you know, I, I think they hit on a little diamond in the rough here. Um, and, you know, if, if you're – approaching this Patriots offense as a defensive coordinator, I think you might play some zone stuff. I know that's not where the Ravens like to be, uh, similar to Bill Belichick. They like to play a bit more man um, to keep eyes on the quarterback. You know, that gives Myers the opportunity to find some soft spots in that. And so I think given those reasons, Jacoby Myers might be the guy I feel most comfortable about. I won't even say confident. I'd say most comfortable about Headed into Sunday night. All right. That'll be interesting because the the Ravens will be back with Humphrey. Presumably they'll be playing a lot of base defense if, if it's a lot of 21 looks, which means it'll be Humphrey and Peters on opposite sides. And I don't think they'll even switch. I mean, I think that Peters no. is too comfortable with with at left cornerback and knowing where the sideline is and the shoulder he likes to catch over and whatnot. Uh, anyway, at uh, great, great material here. Uh, let's tell people where they can find your work, your Twitter handle, anything else you want to plug right now. Well, Ken, as always, thanks so much for having me. I love these shows. They're fantastic. You can find me on Twitter, at Mark Schofield. Like you mentioned, USA Today's Touchdown Wire. Um, I also host the Sco Show, which is a Patriots podcast on SB Nation's Pat's Pulpit, uh, but on Twitter, at Mark Schofield. Go ahead, Josh. All right, great. And don't forget my bookie. Uh, I just looked it up. Ravens are seven-and-a-half-point favorites on my bookie going into this weekend. The Masters starts tomorrow, I believe. So there's betting there if you want to get in on the golf game on MyBookie, plus all the college football this weekend. So make sure you sign up over at MyBookie, and when you do, use our promo code RAVENS to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. Incredible match there. I, I hope people are taking advantage of that because it's that's a that's a thousand free dollars as I would look at it, even though there is a rollover requirement. You have to use it a couple times. It's still that's an awful nice – uh, matching bonus there, and it's a, it's a not insignificant amount of money. Uh, let me tell you. Let me ask you one question. I'm not a golf fan at all, but I did see the the video of the guy who skimmed the ball across. I, what did you think of that, Mark? First of all, I I love the sort of Masters par three and all the stuff they do in the lead up to it, and I love how they they approach that hole each week. Everybody tries to do that. You know, that's one of those things that every golfer you know sort of tries in the Masters practice rounds and par three. That was incredible. I mean, because the way the video is shot, 
once the ball comes up onto the green, you're like, oh, wow, it must just roll straight in. But he, it has to then bend and turn and make this like 90 degree left turn to go like 100 yards of carry to the hole. I mean, just absolutely incredible. It's one of those moments, you know, and, you know, when we cover football, there are times where we're reminded like these players are just superhuman people. Like, you know, I go down to the senior bowl and I walk into the lobby at the Renaissance where all the players, that's like the headquarters for the senior bowl. And you walk into the lobby and I remember it was Brian O'Neill who at the time, you know, was a, a coming out of the university of Pittsburgh left tackle. Now he's on the Vikings and he's just a mammoth human being. And I'm, you know, I'm five, nine and I'm like, looking up two feet to the sky to see this guy's head. These are superhumans. And it's the same thing with golf. Like say what you want about golf as a sport or not. The fact that you could get a golf ball to do that when you're basically hitting it wrong and still do that. It's just absurd. It's just absurd. Certainly a crazy video worth, worth going out and looking on Twitter for. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Rest of the week. Uh, uh, we've got some things coming. We've got by the numbers. We'll be out there on Friday morning. Look for the offensive line article. Uh, that'll be out there right around the same time this is coming out. So if you're looking at the know your foe, you can also go find the offensive line scoring from this last week. Uh, regular stuff coming up after the Patriots game in terms of the defensive article, the offensive article, uh, and the podcast to go with that. Josh, anything else? No, you covered it all. We're good. We will uh, talk again soon. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.